Amen. All right, so I am not the, uh, the best flyer in the world. Um, something about flying just makes me, uh, obviously I'm not the best flyer, right? But uh, <laughs> something about flying just makes me nervous. I mean, here you are, you are 40,000 feet in the air, and you are traveling at over 600 miles per hour, covering uh, incredible distances. I mean, you're 40,000 feet up, and you're looking out of that window seat, and there, there is nothing connecting you to the ground. One little mechanical problem, and it's over. And so naturally, when I fly, I get a little nervous. Even though the chances of crashing are like slim and it's more dangerous for you to drive to the airport than actually fly, for some reason I get nervous. It may be because I'm not in control of the plane, but no one would want that either, trust me. (laughs) So when I fly, I really need distractions. I need movies, I need books, something to kind of get me through it. And uh, I did a lot of flying this past week to Romania uh, me and some friends here, uh, me, Matt Stump, Eddie Sanderlin, Jesse Uel, we traveled out to Comanesh, Romania to uh, serve a church out there, Victory Baptist Church, to really establish a relationship with them. We're looking forward to uh, working more with them. We benefited greatly. We think they benefited greatly as well. Um, but the biggest flight was when we crossed the Atlantic. And the plane, I'd never been on a plane like it before. Everything was complimentary. And the coolest thing was every seat had these TVs behind each seat. And so when we turned on the TVs, every movie that you could think of was right there at your fingertips. I mean, we had every movie and every show that we could possibly watch. And so I ended up watching tons of movies. Avengers, Age of Ultron. We watched 12 Years a Slave. Uh, We watched uh, some other movies. Jesse Ewell Ewell was sitting next to me. And she was watching like Cinderella and I walked to remember, and I was kind of like peeking over at her, you know. <laughs> so we, we watched t- tons of movies, but there was one movie, and this is probably one of my favorite movies, uh, directed by Christopher Nolan, Interstellar. And I, if you want to rush while flying 40,000 feet at 600 miles an hour, watch Interstellar. It just puts things into more perspective, like, oh man, what if... What if we just took out through the stratosphere and into a black hole? I mean, and, and, then, and then the music, I mean, it's amazing, right? Um, so on the way back, I finished Interstellar, and I wanted to watch another movie. I wanted to watch another Christopher Nolan movie, one of my favorites as well, Inception, right? It's in the I category, starts with an I, so it should be pretty easy to find. Uh, so when I went to go look for it, though, it wasn't available. And I was mad. I got mad. I even looked at Eddie and, uh, beside me. I said, dude, I can't believe the Inception is not available. This is stupid. Uh, so here I am. I'm, in, I'm sitting in a chair 40,000 feet up going 600 miles per hour, traveling across the Atlantic Ocean, something it took centuries for modern man to even accomplish. I mean, I'm experiencing the miracle of modern flight. I should be amazed. I should be absolutely fascinated. When I look out my window on the plane, I, I, see, I see things that most men and women throughout all history only dreamed about seeing. And here I am, mad that my little TV screen doesn't have Inception. 
so I, I lost sight of what was actually going on. I was so zoomed in on this little screen that I took what actually was happening around me for granted. And I think that in a, in a similar way, we Christians can often lose sight of the greatness that is around us. There's something far greater. And I think that we have the tendency to, to actually lose sight of the greatness of God, the one who created the earth and the air, the one who um, we're flying over, the one who created the earth, what we're flying over. Amazing. He's great. And so my goal this morning is that you would, you would taste God's greatness and that you would sing this song that we're going to study within your hearts. And I think that these truths this morning are going to talk to Christians and non-Christians alike. I think that these truths impact everyone here. God has been good, so good to all of us, whether we acknowledge that or not. I love that. I love this sermon series that we're in, um, a study of Psalms. I think that there is a, a great need for us to rediscover the Psalms. I think that we have, or I personally have, have neglected them. Over the past year, uh, for me personally, it's become very clear that I, in my Christian walk, I have only scratched the surface of what it means to truly experience God, to what it means to truly experience prayer. And I think that's the case with many of you here this morning. And if you want to deeply experience God, if that's something that you want to do, if you want to really know him, using your emotions to worship him, then Psalms are for you. I think that the Psalms are a gateway for us as believers in Christ to greater intimacy with Christ. The Psalms, the book of Psalms, it is a songbook of the people of God. It is a a hymnal. Uh, Growing up in in some traditional Baptist churches, on the back of every uh, seat was a hymnal. It was a Baptist hymnal. The Psalms is kind of like that. It is a hymn book for the people of God. Many different songs, a lot of different variety, uh, songs that cover a wide range of experiences and emotions. The Psalms are unique. They, They give us the words to express our emotions and our experiences. But the Psalms are not just about expressing emotions. They're actually much more than that. For the believer in Christ, the Psalms actually help us or, or help to shape our emotions. Emotions are not a bad thing. Uh, they're part of who we are as people made in the image of God. But because of our fall into sin, our emotions often go towards other things rather than God. And the Psalms are designed, they're, they're, they're given to us as a gift from God to help reshape our emotion, to help point them back to God. So they, they act deeply on us. They, sh- they should affect us if we're reading them rightly. One thing I do love about the Psalter is that actually most of the Psalms are laments. Most of them are not praise songs. And uh, we, don't, we don't see songs like this in modern Christian music. Most modern Christian music are songs of praise. Praise God for his greatness. All, that is good. And that's actually one of the Psalms that we're going to study today. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think that the Psalter is actually more reflective of our actual lives because life is hard. Life isn't always easy. Sometimes, a lot of times we're going through difficult times. There are actually more Psalms that address the difficult times in our life than the good times. 
The, the Psalms help shape our emotions towards God even during the difficult times. And so as I mentioned previously, our Psalm this morning is Psalm 145 verses 1 through 10, 1 through 13. Uh, this is a Psalm written by King David. David, uh, the King of Israel, the second King of Israel after Saul. He wrote over half of the Psalms. He writes the Psalms as a ruler of Israel, as king of Israel, but he also writes these Psalms as, as a type of ideal Israelite. Uh, it's like he's leading the nation in worship. David was an excellent musician. He was an excellent songwriter. Uh, in 2 Samuel, David is even called the sweet psalmist of Israel. So David, the sweet psalmist of Israel, is going to lead us in worship this morning. He's going to help us actually taste with our hearts the greatness and goodness of God. And so that's my goal this morning, that you would sing this song of praise in your own heart. My first point this morning is this, that you would, number one, that you would praise God for his unsearchable greatness. David begins by singing in verse one and two. He says this, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. David was a king with more authority than any of us here could handle. Most kings in his era wanted their people to worship him. But David is not pointing to himself here. He's pointing to the one true God. He sings, every day I will bless you. This is a statement in scripture that has always kind of confused me. What does it mean for a man to bless God? When I ask God's blessing, God, please bless me, or, or God, please bless someone else, I'm asking for his help. I'm asking for his strength. I'm asking him to make me uh, or, or another person better off than I was before. However, God is magnificent. He is a, he is a spirit that needs nothing. We cannot make him better and we cannot make him any stronger than he already is. David recognizes God's strength, his greatness. And so when you read bless God in the Old Testament or even in the New Testament, it's the same thing as just expressing gratitude and delight and experiencing God's goodness and his greatness and thanking God for it, saying, God bless you. Thank you so much. You're so good. This blessing and praise lasts forever and ever. Why forever? Why does it last forever? It has to. It has to last forever because of verse 3. Verse 3 says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. There's only one God, and he alone is great. All other beings, all other beings are completely dependent on God, dependent on his goodness dependent on him to sustain them. That's the case for us. This is the case for the most esteemed among men and angels. I don't care who you are on this earth, whether you're the president of the United States or, or the most impoverished person on the face of the earth. You, both people are, are dependent on God for their existence, for their life, whether they acknowledge that or not. And so how can, we as, as, how can we as people attribute greatness to anyone other than God? God can never be compared to any other creature or thing. He is, he is self-existent. 
He is infinite. The mightiest archangel in all of heaven is no closer to being compared with God than the tiniest bacteria. God is incomparable. His, his greatness is unsearchable. His greatness is un, unsearchable. It is, it is beyond investigation. It is a thing that cannot be searched out or measured. It would be far easier to count all of the sand on all of the seashores, on all of the deserts and beaches throughout the world than to measure the greatness of God. It would be far easier to count all of the stars in all of the galaxies throughout all of the universe, innumerable, innumerable seemingly infinite number, than to measure the greatness of and the goodness of God. So, so with that in mind, that's the picture that David is trying to paint for us here. As we sing this song, it ought to, it ought to just grab our hearts. And so what, our atti- what should our attitude and response be to God's greatness? How shall we live in light of his unsearchable greatness? And I think that the answer is deceptively simple. Deceptively simple. It's worship. The answer is worship. The answer is, is, is praise to God. Not just with our lips, but with our hearts. And I'm talking about a continual state of wonder and awe at who God really is. I mean, if you really do get this, if you really begin to live life seeing the greatness of God all around you, you will truly live a happier life. God, God's greatness leads us to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, where, where the, the author of Hebrews says this in response to God's goodness. Through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. It's the fruit of lips that acknowledge that all that you are, all that you have has been given to you by your creator. Worship is not just Sunday mornings. It's not just what we do here. The author of Hebrews says that we, we offer up sacrifices of praise to God continually. Worship for the believer is all of life. It is continuous. It's constantly saying in our hearts that, yes, God is great. I think it's important that we have this conviction that, that for all men everywhere, worship is the goal of life. It's not an end. Worship is in itself is an end of itself. It, it is the goal of our ministry here at Integrity Church. It's the goal of missions. There are people in the world not worshiping God. We want to make worshipers out of people. We want to worship God better. This is the way that we should live. He, we, he, he deserves it because he is good. So praise God for his unsearchable Greatness. My second point this morning is this. Number two, meditate. Meditate on God's beauty and his work. Let's read our next verse in this song. Verse four. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. David is celebrating here an Israelite. He has this picture of this, this Israelite generation commending the works of God to a younger generation. 
This was the biblical pattern for Old Testament households. God did many amazing things in the Old Testament, but the greatest act in their minds would have been the exodus out of Egypt. This is painted vividly for us in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 20 through 23. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 20 through 23. Moses says, when, when your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. We were slaves. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt, against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there. He might, so that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give our fathers. Son, we... We were slaves. We're no longer slaves because, because God has brought us out of Egypt. And so when we read the Psalms, we, or, or any Old Testament passage for that matter, we have to keep in mind that the songwriters worked with an incomplete Bible. In fact, they worked a lot of times, David here, he's actually working with an incomplete Old Testament He didn't even have the whole Old Testament yet. It had not been given by God quite yet. David, when he writes this, he he definitely had at least the first five books of the Bible. And he may have had Joshua and Judges as well. He had a limited amount of God's revelation. These few books and their stories, though, they prompt David to sing on in 145, 6-7, they prompt him to sing things like this. They, verses 6 and 7, they, talking about the great works, they shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare to you your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. So David poetically shows us the way that that God freed the Israelites from their slavery and from their oppression. These works that God bringing Israel out of slavery, they they pour forth, the imagery here, they, they pour forth the fame of God's goodness and his righteousness. They move David to sing aloud out loud about God. They, but they also move him to do something more quietly as well. He's singing out loud, but he's also being moved to do this in verse 5. Verse 5 reads this. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. David takes time to meditate on the beauty of God. On, he takes time to meditate on that story. That story of God saving the Israelites out of their slavery and oppression. For most of my Christian life, I have skimmed the Bible. I have picked and I have chosen uh, what to read in the Bible 
not based on any type of systematic plan really, but more based on impulse, having no real thought out reasons of why I'm reading what I'm reading, just kind of going here and there. And to be completely honest, I, I would, I, I, I've tended to dive deep into theological topics or into scriptures to just really fill my head with knowledge. I, I have found that the, the, the times where I have d- dove in deep into scripture was when I was required to teach. My relationship with God has oftentimes been very uh, functional in that sense. Um, and because of this, my spirituality has at times been shallow, not very deep. Uh, and last year, 2014, this kind of came to a head for me. Um, it was a, 2014 was kind of a rough year uh, between seminary and full-time work. Uh, I had some medical issues. Uh, w- me and my wife, we were preparing to have our, our son. Um, there, was, there were a lot, 2014 was a weird year for integrity too because uh, there were a lot of unanswered questions regarding uh, our Sunday morning location. Uh, the stress was eating away at me a bit trying to figure out that and many other things. A lot of life transitions that year. And uh, the pressures of life cranked up. And to be honest, I, just, I didn't handle it very well. And I, and I kind of spent most of the year in a, in a more of a depressive state. Um, I knew a lot of biblical truth. And, and, and during any time like that, I mean, I could talk all day about God's sovereign providence, about how Everything is for my good. But there was something missing. The gospel was true, but it was, it was not taking root like I thought it should have been. It was not really changing me from the inside out like it had for me in the past. Something was missing in my spirituality. And so I, I had to be very honest with, about it with friends, with mentors. And I, I learned through that that what was missing in my spirituality was a, was a disciplined approach to meditating, not just studying, not, not just learning per se, but actually meditating on what I was learning. Meditating on, on biblical truth has, has really helped me immensely. I mean, it's been kind of a recent development for me. I have found that biblical truths are really only encouraging after I slow down after I take time to to really let it sink into my heart to think about biblical truth from every angle I can possibly imagine. It takes time, it takes effort. Many of you in here I know um, we have devotional lives where we, where, where we oftentimes will jump from Bible study right into prayer. Um but with that, I think that there's something missing. I, I think that there is a bridge between Bible study and prayer. And I think that that bridge is meditation. Uh, to truly, deeply experience the power of God from Scripture, you have to meditate. And I think meditation is the missing link in a lot of our spirituality. Uh, many of us here at Integrity Church, uh, we understand sound theology. We love the Bible. We have a lot of the right answers. And those are all good things. But what are they if they're not actually changing us? 
What are they if they're actually not helping us love God more and love others more? What, what are they if, if, if we're not growing in joy? What are they if, if they are not making us into more of a happy people? And I think we should be. We should be the happiest people on earth. Meditation is the key. And in our culture, meditation, you know, when you think about meditation, I immediately think of like the monk sitting cross-legged, something I can't do right now, uh, saying hum and emptying his mind. But that's not what biblical meditation is. Biblical meditation is actually the opposite. It is filling our mind with biblical truth, not emptying our mind. It is, it is filling our mind with that truth and then, in a sense, chewing on that content within our mind and within our heart. Meditation literally means to mutter. It is to ponder thoroughly. Uh, to meditate is to ask yourself questions about biblical truth that you read such as this. You know, you, when you read this, ask yourself, am I living in light of this? truth. What difference does this make? Am I taking this seriously? If I believed and held on to this, how would that change things? When I forget this truth, how does that affect me in all my relationships? In every case, meditation means to use the mind intensely. It means to pause. It means to ponder. It means to, as our sermon series says, be still. Bathe your mind in truth before you. It's not just hearing and reading. It's, it's actually thinking. It's not, it's not just glancing over things. It's actually taking the time to enjoy it. To do this, though, you have to set aside more time to do this. It takes time to think. If you want to be a, a happier Christian, you have to take time to read Scripture. You have to take time to meditate. And I, this can be very challenging, obviously, because our society, our culture, everything's complex. Everybody's so busy. It can be challenging. Um, for me personally, I have found that morning and evening are the best times for me. In the morning, I try and read out of my uh, Bible plan. I, I use the McShane annual Bible reading plan, and I'll, I'll read about four chapters. I'll highlight a section of scripture that touches me, I guess you could say, and then I will take time to meditate on that. And then in the evening, perhaps after dinner, uh, or perhaps kind of during dinner, I'll read a psalm, and then in my journal, I will paraphrase that psalm into my own words using some creative discipline, and I just, I do that, and I found that to be immensely helpful to keep me connected to the truths of God in my life. Um, I do the morning, evening, it just works for me. It doesn't work for everybody. Some people are, everybody's wired differently. Some people like to do it over lunch, but Find the way that it works in your life and, and then commit to something. I'm not perfect. Uh, there are days that I miss. For some reason, I still haven't figured out how to do this very well on vacation for whatever reason. Um, but, but I'm not perfect. But this is a pattern of life that I'm, I'm striving for. Um, and as Christians, we, I mean, we have this immense privilege to meditate on the beauty of God. And this brings us to our third point this morning. Remind yourself of God's grace and mercy. This will be verses 8 and 9. Let's read verse 8. The Lord is gracious. He is merciful 
He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. This verse is a repeat of what God said about himself at Mount Sinai when he gave the, old, the, the Mosaic law to Israel. This is one of the most quoted sayings in all of the Old Testament. They are beautiful words. Let's, let's break this down. God is merciful. He is full of loving kindness. He is tender-hearted. He is compassionate. And he is compassionate to even the most miserable and pitiful people. God is gracious. He is, he is willing to treat people not according to their own merit or worth, but according to his own kindness and generosity. His love is steadfast. God is willing to bear with. He's willing to, to suffer long with the weaknesses and wrongdoings of sinful people. People like you. People like me. He is, his, his love is resolute. He will not waver. And David, the man writing the song would know. David was worse than many of us. A lot of us, we don't hold a candle to David. David was an adulterer and the, and the, and the woman he cheated on with, he, he had her husband killed. And, God, and yet, even David was shown mercy. No one, has, no one is out of the reach of God's love. We ought to be thankful for it. This reminds me of a, of a story. While we were in Romania, uh, one evening, this is probably one of the highlights of the trip. We, we, as a group, we were invited to have dinner with uh, a couple and their family. Uh, and so we went to go have dinner, and their name was Gina and Flora, and they're probably in their 40s, had three beautiful kids. And uh, we sh- they shared with us their testimony of coming to faith in Christ. We shared with ours. We laughed. We ate some good food. It was a good time. But the highlight of the evening was when they, they shared about their life under communism and under this communistic dictatorship. To hear their stories, I mean, they had no freedom. They, they even, there was no freedom of religion. There, there was none of that. They lived in, they talked about how they lived in constant fear of even their friends because they were surrounded by informants. They could not, they did not have the freedom to talk about their faith in any way. If they did, if it was heard that they talked about Christianity or the Bible or even hinted towards it, they could be sent to prison or even worse, beaten, killed. They even told us about how their toilet paper was Bible scriptures because the communists hated the scriptures so much. I mean, it, it, it shocked us into reality. Um, most of us have not experienced anything like that. We haven't. And there's not a generation in America that's not experienced a, a high level of freedom. And so when Gina began talking to us about the Romanian revolution of 1989, to see her face, to see her emotion as she talked about freedom, this is political freedom, to see the tears were, were beginning to roll up into her eyes. And then we, we started to get it. Oh my gosh, these people understand freedom in a way that we don't. We've always had it. And so we don't value it. And that, it was amazing. 
It, it made me, it gave me a lot more, it gave us as a team a lot more perspective on the world. It, it, it made us more thankful for, for what we have here. And though most of us have not experienced a, a communist dictatorship, we have experienced slavery. And we have experienced oppression. This is for the believers here. We have experienced slavery and oppression to sin. It's terrible. And, and God brought us out of slavery to sin. And he, he brought us out of that. And he brings us into his grace and love. And when we truly what ha- ha- realize what happened in our salvation, it ought, it ought to be joyful praise as we know where we were and we know where God has taken us David is here he's praising God for the exodus but that was just merely a picture that was a picture that was a shadow of the reality of salvation in Christ Paul says in Romans chapter 8 verse 32 he says he the father this is God who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how would he not also with him graciously give all things? We have freedom now. We've been taken out from under the dictatorship of sin and brought into the free country of grace and love in Christ. What makes us different from David here, all of us in this room, the believers here, what makes us different is that we have the full story of God's grace. David did not. Christ was a mystery to David. It amazes me. David's able to write these songs and we have so much more to work off of. This mystery that was not revealed to David has been revealed to us. Paul, the apostle, in his closing statements of Romans, a beautiful book, by the way, praises God by saying in Romans chapter 16, verses 25 through 26, he says this, "Now, now to him who is able to strengthen you According to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. What was a secret to David has now been fully revealed to us, this side of the cross. So then, so my question is, how much more should we sing and celebrate of God's mercy, love, mercy and love in Christ? David was primarily talking in physical terms. We have the spiritual kingdom. We are the most fortunate people. We, I mean, we are the most fortunate people because God has revealed to us the greatest mystery in all the universe, the greatest mystery of all time. It is the gospel of his grace and mercy found in Christ. Preach it to yourself. Meditate on it. Ask God to reveal to you the gospel in greater ways. If you were to do a survey of all the prayers of Paul for his people, this is what he's praying for. He's praying that his people would understand God's grace and beauty and love in greater and greater ways. And and it reminds me to remind myself of his mercy and grace. So in conclusion this morning, we can be encouraged. We can be encouraged that this morning God has called believers to himself. We are able, because of Christ, we are able to sing in the next few verses, 10 through 13, confidently. 
All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord. Now that we're on the side of, uh, of now that we're on this side of the cross, when we read this, we can we can think this through this creatively. We can say, the gospel gives thanks to you, O Lord. The saints that you have redeemed bless you and express gratitude for you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom, tell of your power, to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. As, as believers, we are already experiencing his kingdom, but not yet fully. God's kingdom when David was writing this, he was thinking more in physical terms. He was thinking more of Jerusalem, a united Israel. But, but God's kingdom and what is revealed later in scriptures is that it is a spiritual kingdom. It is a, it is a beautiful kingdom where he is, where God is ruling in the hearts of believers all throughout the earth. So we are already experiencing yet, but it has not been revealed fully. We're living in this tension of the already and the not yet. And we can anticipate his coming kingdom when all of creation will be restored, when we will walk with God with no hindrances, no sin, no sickness. He'll wipe all the tears away. There's coming a day where there will be no hindrances between us and God. And that is a beautiful thing if you're a believer in Christ. So what makes Christianity unique is that in a sense, we have this coming kingdom we actually can kind of look forward to death. We can face death without fear because death brings us closer and closer to Christ. But that's not the case for the non-believer here. You're not in his kingdom and your sin separates you from God. I skipped this verse over before, but I want to go back to it. It's Psalm 145 verse 9. Here David says, in verse 9, the Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. And so even though, this applies to everyone, even though you have not submitted to him as Lord, you have experienced his goodness. You've experienced it. He's given you love. He's given you joy. He's given you laughter. He's given you good food. All those good things that you're experiencing are just a taste of the goodness that you could really enjoy in Christ. Everything in your life has been given to you by God. And his, his goodness, as the writer of Acts says, his, it, it is meant to draw you to repentance. To acknowledge that, yeah, he is good. And to trust in Christ for your salvation. So my goal this morning was that you would taste God's greatness. That you'd sing about it within your hearts. So have you tasted it? Will you take time moving forward to meditate? on his goodness. We have a rich treasure chest full of material to meditate upon in the Psalter. Will you do it? Will you make it as a style of life? I hope we all will. There's so much joy to be had. Thank you. Let's pray.